Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, Depart, go up hence, thou and the people that thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land of which I swore, unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. 2. And I will send an angel before thee. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Those are all of the pagan people who are living in Canaan at the time. And he's going to give that land to his own people. 3. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Up until now, God has been in their midst. They've been following him as a pillar of cloud by day and as a pillar of fire by night. And they've been following him. They can see him. But he says he's going to let the angel lead them. And he himself is not going to lead them anymore because he says they're so stubborn in their sin that if I were anywhere near them, I would wipe them out in my anger because they're so sinful. Because God is holy. And he can't tolerate sin. And so he says, in order to keep them alive, I'm going to let the angel lead them. Now the angel has been there all along, but he's saying the angel is going to lead them alone. Four. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on his ornaments. We only have one word for evil in English. But in the Bible, it has all different kinds of meanings. The evil here is that the Lord won't be with them. And so they know how much they need the Lord, and they're actually grieved. They're very sad that God is saying that they're only going to get led by an angel. That's another point against angel worship. Angels are not God. They take their orders from God. And so we don't look to angels for anything. We only look to God. And then he uses the angels sometimes to help us. But it's him who the help is really coming from. Because the angels don't have any skills or abilities or desire to do anything that he doesn't give them. They obey him. They don't obey us. The children of Israel know that without God, it's going to be a really sad journey. Of course, the angel will do its job, but they want God there with them. They're so sad that they don't put their jewelry on. And this shows you that they must really love jewelry and it must be something that they wear regularly. 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people, meaning stubborn. If I go up into the midst of thee for one moment, I shall consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Now God is actually feeling compassionate toward them, and he goes, Okay, let me think about it. But keep your ornaments off, stay in mourning, stay sober, and let me think about it for a minute because he knows that they're really sad that he won't travel with them. 6. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And that means that from this day on, they never wore their ornaments again. They didn't wear jewelry anymore, because God told them one time that he wasn't going to travel with them. They know how dependent they are on God. Even though they're very evil and they want to worship other gods for the fun of it, they know who the real God is, and they know that they can't survive without him. They were so sad on this day that they never put their jewelry back on. 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and to pitch it without the camp, afar off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And it came to pass that every one that sought the Lord went out unto the tent of meeting, which was without the camp. Now this is before the tabernacle was made. In the previous chapters, God instructed Moses how to make the tabernacle. 
but they haven't actually started making it yet because Moses was still on the mountain that whole time and he hadn't told the people any of the instructions. They still do not have a tabernacle. Moses is the only one who knows about the tabernacle, Moses and Joshua, because they were on the mountain hearing God's instructions. But Moses's tent is called the tent of meeting. So that's where, until they get the tabernacle, that's kind of their holy area. Eight, and it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tent that all the people rose up and stood, every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tent. Since it's millions of people with hundreds of thousands of tents, you know that they couldn't have all seen Moses at the same time. But obviously the ones who could see him, maybe hundreds who could see that he was going to his own tent to meet the Lord, they all stood outside of their tent and watched him uh, solemnly. This shows a whole lot of reverence for both Moses and God at this point, because they're basically holding their breath to see what God will say to Moses. 9. And it came to pass, when Moses entered into the tent, the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tent, and the Lord spoke unto Moses. So whenever Moses entered this tent, the pillar of cloud would descend on the tent. The rest of the time it was up higher, where the people could see it. 10. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud stand at the door of the tent, all the people rose up and worshipped every man at his tent door. All of Israel would see the cloud come down. So at that point, everybody stands at their door and worships. And this is kind of a Jewish way of doing things, is to worship at your front door. Interesting, isn't it? Maybe that tradition got started because of their time in the desert, because they would all be at their own house. Their tent is their own house. So each little church, each little home is worshiping the Lord in their spot. 11. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he would return into the camp. But his minister Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tent. Joshua is in spiritual training to be a leader of Israel because he's going to take Moses' place when Moses dies. Joshua is actually like attending the tent, which is pretty... He's staying there waiting on the Lord all the time. So in order to be a great leader, you have to know how to wait on the Lord. This requires patience and a lot of faith because God will be silent. God will stand back at times to test your faith. We need to be just as faithful when God is silent and when he's left the tent as we are when God is present and we know we can feel his presence and hear his voice. When you're not getting instructions from God about your life, that's when you need to have the most faith and not go down the devil's path like they did when Moses was on the mountain. Again, it says that Moses is a friend of God. And in the New Testament, Jesus said that we are his friends if we obey him. If we're not obeying the Lord, we don't have any reason to believe that we're his friends. But if we are obeying him, then we have every reason to believe that we're his friends. And that would give us a lot of confidence when we pray. There's been times in my life where it was really hard to pray, and that's because I was in sin and I knew it, and I knew that why would God listen to my prayers? Now, he'll still save us when we call on his name, even if we're in sin, but why would he listen to the other prayers if you're in rebellion and you're his enemy? That's why we need to be following Jesus, denying ourselves of worldly things, and making sure that we're walking in Jesus' steps of righteousness. And you can't do that by willpower. We'll talk about this a lot when we get to the New Testament, but you cannot obey God by willpower. It actually takes faith to obey God. Because of our sinful nature, we can't make ourselves be good. I know everyone's tried that and it doesn't work. 
you have to have faith that Jesus is in you. You have to believe with all your heart that Jesus is in you. And when you believe that, you will start acting like Jesus. But if you believe that you're on your own and you have to make yourself act good, it won't work. The best you could ever do is be a hypocrite, meaning that you pretend to be good on the outside, but you're still full of evil desires on the inside in your heart. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus condemned the religious leaders for being that way. And I've learned this from personal experience. Only by faith can I resist sin. I can't do it by willpower. 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Moses is saying, I'm confused, God. You've given me all these promises, but now you're saying that you're not going to travel with us. 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy ways, that I may know thee to the end, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Moses is saying, I'm confused because you told me we're going to the promised land, but now you're saying that they're a stubborn people and you don't want to travel with them. So show me what you mean by all this, because I don't see how it's going to work if you don't travel with us. See, you can ask God questions. We just can't be arrogant and condemn him and blame him and mock him. 14, and he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. 15, and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. God says, Okay, I will stay with you. God is perfect. He knows everything. But he also is testing Moses' faith, and he's testing the people. He told him, I don't want to walk with you guys. It makes me so angry, all the sin that you do. But now Moses is pleading with him and saying, but you promised. And then God is saying, okay, I will walk with you. God is compassionate. That's why he's our father and we're his children. Haven't you had similar conversations like this with your own child where you laid down the line and then your child started crying and then you're like, okay, well, maybe we can work out a compromise or something because you love your child. And then Moses really rubs it in and he goes, even though God has just promised to be with them, Moses says, if you don't be with us, don't even take us to Canaan because we aren't going to make it without you. 16. For wherein now shall it be known that I have found grace in thy sight, I and thy people? Is it not in that thou goest with us, so that we are distinguished, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? Moses is now really making his point. He's saying, the way I know that I have found grace, that you approve of me, is that you stay with us so that we can follow you, because no other God does that for their people, and that will distinguish you and us. And you as the true God, all the other nations, their gods don't lead them. Their gods are just made of stone. 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. God is affirming Moses, and he's saying, Yes, you are my friend. I do know you by name. You have found grace in my sight. And he's also saying, And I will do what you've asked. I'm going to keep traveling with you guys. The New Age talks about affirmation all the time, but the way the New Age people do it is one human flattering another. It's it's literally flattery. It's when you look at somebody who you don't even know and you make up all these flattering statements to puff up their ego and they call that affirmation. Real affirmation can only come from God. That's why when you do the New Age affirmation exercises, during it, your ego gets puffed up. But when it's over, 
you still know that you're just a human with a whole lot of problems and life is still bleak and you still have no future because you don't know God. But here is God himself affirming Moses. And that's what you and I want to hear. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, which is what Jesus talks about in the New Testament. And we can't hear that unless we're his friends and we can't be his friends unless we obey him genuine affirmation that changes our outlook can only come from God, and it's going to be a result of our obedience. 18, and he said, show me, I pray thee, thy glory. So now Moses is saying, let me see your glory. Let me see you the way you are in heaven, because I know that you're only showing me a cloud. I want to see you in your full glory. 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. This is God talking to Moses. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God is saying, I am good. He's not saying that he'll show his glory, but he's saying, I'm going to show you all my goodness. I'm going to proclaim my name before you. And I have the authority and the right to be gracious to those and merciful to those who I choose. And of course, God chooses those who are humble and who repent. 20, and he said, thou canst not see my face for man shall not see me and live. God is saying, you really can't see my full glory or you'll die. The only way we can see God's face is if we get our new eternal heavenly body and it's in heaven. That's when we'll see his face. But right now, the way we are now, we can't see him and live because he's too holy for us to look at. He's basically saying, no, you cannot see my glory, but I am going to pronounce my goodness before you and my name. 21, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon the rock. Now who is by God but his son, Jesus? And who is the rock? That is Jesus Christ. He's telling Moses, you're going to stand on the rock, which is like saying you're going to stand on the authority of my son. 22, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand until I have passed by. 23, and I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God is saying, I'm going to put you on this rock, which represents Jesus Christ, but I'm going to put you in the cleft of it. So kind of in a nook of the rock. As I approach, I'm going to put my hand over that nook to cover you so that you can't see my face because that would kill you. And then when I've passed the rock and all that's showing is my back, then I'll take my hand off and you can see my back and you'll still live. God can do anything because it sounds like his hand would be bigger than Moses, but he's going to walk by and Moses is going to see his back, which is just really interesting. So I don't know how big God was appearing or how small he was appearing. I don't know if he was appearing with a massive hand and a normal sized body, if his hand would just become massive to cover Moses with a cleft, and if basically Moses would see the back of Jesus. I'm not really sure. But anyway, that's what God was going to do. So this is what God's going to do, but he hasn't done it yet. He'll do it in the next chapter. And that concludes Exodus chapter 33.